So we should do an intro then. Saddest school disco in history. Hi, welcome to the Saddest School Disco in History, a podcast where um, me, Natasha, speaks to my friend Vince, and we talk about mental health representations in film. Yeah, hi, my name is Vincent. I uh, am a student psychologist in Norway uh, and I'm currently in my final placement. Um, And like I said, I'm Natasha and I am a psychotherapist in the NHS in the UK um, and have been doing that for um, a good while now, I guess. And we've been talking about film and mental health for way longer than we've been doing a podcast on it. So today we're going to be talking about the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, Um, but by way of introduction I'd just like to explain why this episode has taken longer than we hoped. Um, For the first thing, when I was editing the last episode, I left left my computer in the (laughs) airport in Oslo, Um, and then when I eventually got that computer back, we planned to do a new recording, and then Mm -hmm. I had lent my microphone to somebody. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently, I moved to the countryside, so I'm now living in a place called Ferda, which is in the uh, on the west coast, kind of of uh, Norway. And I'm doing my clinical placement. Plus, yeah. um, Natasha has cancelled recording <laughs> many many times. Yeah. <laughs> That's so not even true. Oh, but it is. Yeah, you're just flaming me for unknown reasons. You, you've just got shame. That's what it is. You're feeling ashamed by all your mishaps. So Anywho. In, in the in the summer, I was working um, nights at a uh, at an acute um, psychiatric unit, <laughs> and uh, I discovered Thirteen Reasons Why on Netflix. Well, I didn't discover it; I'd heard of it before, but I decided to try it out, and mm-hmm. I watched both seasons in the course of four days. Yeah, you were crazy. You were texting me like a maniac about the fact that you were watching episode after episode and like your emotional roller coaster as you were watching. Yeah, and it was it was funny because um, <laughs> because I uh, I'd heard loads of really negative stuff about this show, mm-hmm. like both in the media and from uh, people who I study with, okay. and uh, and then uh, so but then I kind of didn't have anything to watch, so I gave it a go. And yeah, and then I just went mental. And I also had a really, um, <laughs> a really kind of uh, roller coaster experience because I was so in love with season one, and then season two was approximately the worst television I've ever seen. <laughs> that is a lie. That isn't. It's not the worst television you have ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's up there. Is it? Oh my yeah. goodness! Did you ever see El Dorado that used to be on the BBC when we were kids? That was bad TV. I didn't see that, but I don't think it would have been as disappointing as the second <laughs> season of this show. So, so, so I, I suggested that we really talk about season one, yeah. right? We you can did. Maybe, we can maybe get into season two a tiny bit at the end, but I, I don't think it's worth spending much time on it. Okay. I mean, we might want to cover it another time, but I agree. Let's just let's um, concentrate on season one for this podcast. So that was my kind of experience of the show. Like, can you, you watched it longer ago, didn't you? Can you talk about I watched it ages ago, and actually, I can't even remember. <clears throat> it feels like it was way earlier this year, um, or last year, maybe it was even last year. Um, I similarly did the same. Me and my partner um, watched a, an episode because there was loads of hype about it on um, the news, there was hype about it on in news articles. Um, and we watched it and thought, oh, yeah, this is pretty good, and then binged. So I think every night we were watching um, an episode. It was it was the programme that we were watching um, and really enjoyed it. Uh, similarly, the second series really didn't cut it for me. Um, and looking at Wiki, it didn't cut it for a lot of people, actually, which is interesting. Um, well, that that's first... because it was dog shit. But the but the I I, I let, don't hold yeah. back now. Just let it all out. No, but so all right. So, um, 
I can talk about why I thought this show was good, but I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, lots of people have misgivings about it, and it would be interesting mm-hmm. to discuss those too. Mm-hmm. But um, for those who haven't seen the show, for one, we're going to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it before, because we're going to talk about everything that happens in it. Mm-hmm. And for two, we ought to give a little introduction about what it's about. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to do that or? Uh, yeah. Well, I'll I'll do it, but load in because I tend to All forget right. stuff. All right. So. Um, it's based around the story of Hannah Baker, who is a girl who has already died by suicide. Um, and the first series outlines the fact that she leaves 13 tapes and those 13 tapes are reflective of 13 different people who have played a part in her journey as a teenager um, towards this kind of inevitable end, and it is inevitable because she's already died um, uh, of taking her own life. Each, so there are friends, each, partners... Sorry, go on. Mm, no, sorry, I, I didn't realise you were going to... Uh, no, go for it. I just wanted to say, to shoot in, that um, each episode is a tape. Yes. Yeah, so 13 episodes, 13 tapes. So what we see, actually, is a narration concurrently between Hannah... So you go back, so you get flashbacks to things that have already happened. So you see her alive and functioning in her world. Um, And then you uh, have um, the storyline of Clay, her sort of best friend who also swoons over her and majorly crushes on her, who is listening to the tapes currently and sort of watching the fallout of her um, taking her own life. Yeah, that's a good. I think that's a very good uh, summary. I think I, the, we did a good one there. One thing that I would say though is that Clay is not really her best friend, or maybe he no. is. But I mean, she obviously feels a great attachment to him, and mm. um, and there's the kind of it's it's a strange thing because it has this will they won't they romance feeling yeah. of a lot of shows for teenagers, except you know they won't because you know how the story ends. Uh, but um, this is one of the factors in in this program because as I said it, I said I thought to myself, oh, is he her best friend? But that's the point, isn't it? That there are these moments where you, she seems, you know, extremely intensely connected to people, and then suddenly not connected to them. Well, I think the thing is, you know, she doesn't have any friends. I mean, ha- like Hannah is a new girl at a school, mm. um, and what and one of the early stories in the series is that she initially makes some friends, but then they mm-hmm. kind of pair off, and she feels alone again. And and mm. she, um, I mean, really, the number of times that. Uh, um, because Hannah and Clay work together at the cinema, the number of times they meet outside of work is is about is very few. It's minimal. Um, work, yeah. work or school, they see each other at school, mm-hmm. but they don't talk on the phone. They don't talk on chat. They don't meet much. And, no, that's true. And part of the show is kind of also about um, that sort of tragedy of uh, how they both really like each other. And they both um, feel this connection that they have, but neither of them really knows how to do anything about it because yeah, they're too to young it. and inexperienced. So yeah, yeah. Okay, so you liked it. What do you like about it? Well, I think uh, I think that the narrative technique that this show employs, which is you know these tapes where each episode is going to be around a character. Mm. Um, and you know that this is a kind of lengthy suicide note. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of it creates this sense of claustrophobia and doom where um, you kind of are trapped within this narrative. And you see the character Clay kind of continually trying to break out of it mm-hmm. um, by like he trying to refuse to listen to the tapes and he or, you know, um, whatever. And... Uh, but ultimately, he can't. And what I kind of know, one of the things that I really loved about the show was that as I got more and more attached to the char- character of Hannah Baker, the more and more and more I wanted her to survive. Yeah. But I knew that there was no way that, 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 that could happen. Yeah. And so, so even though many people have said that this is a really irresponsible portrayal of um, suicide, I felt that it really, really drove home how appallingly tragic something like this actually is Mm. because i felt that more and more and more this this enormous uh wish that she could just yeah just 
um, get through it and yeah. survive. And there were so many kind of um, moments in her life that could have opened up for new opportunities. She, yeah. um, she's so young and and it just, you know, tragically doesn't happen. And, and also uh, the way that it kind of portrays um, uh, being at school, mm-hmm. I thought was also really kind of convincing it's like i sort of i mm. kind of recognize the world that they inhabit yeah. in, the, in in the first season not in the yeah. second season but um yeah. so so yeah those are kind of two things that i liked about it yeah i would i'm in agreement so um i think the their characters are so well portrayed um that it is really easy to um start to care so I think very early on I cared about Hannah and Clay um, and then the the sadness, the trauma, the emotional roller case that they're going through, you really do feel it with them. But you know inevitably that she is going to die because she has already died and that is, um, it, it's really well done because you do, there are these moments, these glimmers of hope, these these um, changes in her life where you think, oh, this this could really make a difference for her and then you have to remember actually it didn't make a difference or something else happened that impacted that um, also in addition like all of the kind of moments of callousness um mm. that people display towards her um in different situations uh, mm. and in different ways the, are, are kind of heightened by your knowledge of what's going to happen mm. so um but then i know that this was one of the criticisms of the show that was that like when somebody dies by suicide the people who are left behind all begin to um kind of wonder what could i've done differently what Mm. it must have been you know and people begin to blame themselves and attribute blame and one of the arguments that i've heard against this program and i guess against the novel that the program is based upon is that um this is all about attributing blame like the whole kind of narrative of the show is that she's saying okay i'm going to tell all of you mm. exactly how you let you me down yeah mm. so i don't know what you think about that yeah it's a difficult one i think um i i think inevitably that conversation is going to happen when someone dies by suicide um the, interestingly because i knew we were going to record this podcast i i kind of before we started recording had a little look back over bits and bobs of different episodes um and I looked at um a little bit of episode 13 from the first series where she's she's just finished tape 12 and she is uh narrating about how she kind of feels like her tapes are finished and it's almost made her feel like something has changed that something new could happen and she decides to give herself another try um and that she's going to give life another go and then she also narrates but you know that I failed at that um and I thought that was really interesting because that final episode is about her uh, guidance counsellor so the adult the one adult she goes to speak to and how their job is to be helpful and they are not helpful um and that really is the last straw for her it's a difficult one I mean I think uh I think there's always going to be, it's never going to be clear cut, isn't it? People's feelings about um, death by suicide are never, it's never going to be that it all belongs to one person or it all belongs to a community. I think there's, it's always going to be shifting sands, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, arguably, like, uh, and this is another issue that people raise about this show is this, is this thing of, you know, like the vast, vast, vast majority of people who die by suicide can uh, um, be diagnosed with one or more uh mental disorders Mm. like i think it's over 90 Mm percent so um and then there's a question around hannah seems so healthy Mm -hmm. and so uh what's the word i'm looking for she kind of has so much agency she has so much vitality Mm. she doesn't seem to be kind of plagued by any really debilitating uh mental illness or anything no she doesn't ob- seem obviously depressed mm. um so you know is this a kind of misleading 
and and kind of worrying portrayal of suicide that's kind of just something that someone might do and before you like answer that like i read a book recently about um death by suicide mm-hmm. and in that the writer thomas joiner mentions uh media guidelines for how to portray suicidal characters okay. and one of one of the kind of major guidelines is um don't make the character kind of completely relatable and the only thing that differs from you in their story is that they choose suicide because okay. it makes the kind of it it uh i don't know it just makes it seem psychologically more available to people as an option do you know what i mean okay yeah um and so the, i guess there's a question around is this what this show did kind of mm. so we i so the, it's a really interesting question i think it's to me it's one of the most interesting questions about the entire series because i think you and i had a conversation not that long ago where you said oh we should we should definitely record around um we should do a recording on 13 reasons i said oh but is do you think there's a mental health issue in there mm. and you were like well that it's absolutely something we should be talking about. Yeah. Um, I was like, that's a really good point. Okay. But we were already trying to chew the, chew the fat on that. Um, because I similarly kind of thought, you know, she seems really well adjusted in a lot of ways. Um, and my, my feeling, and this is really just a personal thing is when I'm watching, uh, when I was watching it, I mean, I certainly think she's impacted by the trauma she goes through when she's mm. um She's sexually raped. assaulted, yeah. Yeah, so that plays a massive part, I would say, in, yeah. in her state of well-being mm. and her resilience and her ability to function. Mm. Um, but I also think what I see is a collective... a collective experience, a, a collective kind of a life of... Uh, lots of little experiences that build towards a decision Mm. um and she's young and we know that teenagers are impulsive and like cognitively they're not the same as adults we know Mm. that that's true so for me I kind of felt like I was watching a representation of what could happen for a teenager any teenager that isn't well supported Mm. Um, yeah that's interesting I mean, I thought about it as like this as well, um, that Hannah Baker that we get in season one, at least, mm. is Hannah Baker's portrayal of herself on her tapes. Yeah. And and we know that she moved town because there was some mm. kind of story in her previous school. Her dad just says, you know, those terrible girls at the previous mm-hmm. school. Right. Mm-hmm. so there's it's implied that she's got quite a serious history of maybe being bullied and mm-hmm. alienated and everything and so and then we also know that girls tend to be more internalizing with their issues especially like especially when they're younger mm-hmm. so i was like one of the interesting things textually about this program is like is about is the narrator's voice like how much uh, of what Hannah says about like herself and her life, do we take at face value? Like maybe she mm. doesn't, you know. And so, um, there might be other things at play. Like she might be more depressed than she presents herself. She's trying to put a brave face on. Often it mm-hmm. seems like right. Mm. And then, like you're saying as well, like uh, with um, with the horrific sexual assault that she experiences, that um, she's in a state of of she's probably in a state of high trauma yeah at the time when she makes the decision yeah yeah because um, it's it's weeks later isn't it yeah and when she tries to seek help for that yeah it doesn't it doesn't work out for her and the counselor no. is repeating all these kind of really uh, terrible sort of things that we know that like police sort of often say to people and stuff who come uh, in that, situation. that scene is pretty heartbreaking yeah. where she's sitting in his office and um you can see, I mean, she, you know, in terms of acting, she's massively impressive. Um, but she sits and you get this sense of this inner turmoil. You know, it takes her so much to say something out loud. And you see her kind of almost holding her breath, waiting for someone to say something helpful. Mm. And it just goes so terribly wrong. And he says all these things that makes him... You can see he's feeling really satisfied with the way he's responding to her. And I think... Um, 
what I what I really liked about this series is um, the way they really they seem to really well represent the the massive um, gaping distance between adults and teenagers you know how parents you know are well-meaning teachers are Mm. well-meaning and they really think they get it and they just Mm. really really don't and I remember that feeling really well from being a teenager myself Mm. you know that like you're so well-meaning I can see you're well-meaning but you have no idea of what what I'm going through yeah Um, I thought that was really well done there's also, I mean, I feel like we talk about gender in every one of our podcasts. But we do talk about but gender a lot. There's also um, the, uh, a real clear portrayal of the gap between uh, a boy's experience and a girl's experience and a man's experience and a woman's experience. Mm. And and like, obviously, there's the most extreme end of that is, is her being sexually assaulted. But also just the way boys behave towards her in mm-hmm. general mm. is is, you know, really kind of damaging to her self-esteem and you see it in a conversation with clay as well where clay kind of just doesn't understand how difficult this is for her because he just has no experience of being objectified in that sort of way yeah um and what it means for her socially how damaging it is for her socially you know i hadn't really i had never thought about this link before and it might not even be an appropriate link but we both did a English literature degree, did we not? Yeah, we did. Yeah. We did. Um, and um, the way we're talking about Hannah makes me think about, in our first year of uni, we did um, Tess of the D'Urbervilles. Yeah. And I just feel like we're talking about her in very similar terms, you know, that she's completely objectified and, and it's almost like she's just moved from scene to scene for things to happen to her. Does Tessa the D'Urbervilles die by suicide? I got to admit, she doesn't. No, I, I don't think I she does. I didn't read no, the no, books. No. <laughs> <gasps> didn't you? I'm not getting into Thomas Hardy, honestly. <laughs> <I'm not> just... <laughs> uh, what I mean is, though, um, perhaps she's she's pretty representative of um, maybe women that we've seen throughout history in different um, in different forms of media mm. who are objectified, and you know, really everything happens around them and to them and they have very little control over that and it's it's really the tapes that give hannah control back um, and those come after she dies yeah which is interesting so they actually have no real function for her that's the other interesting thing about this series is that there's this sense of her still being there but obviously Mm. the reality of it is that she isn't there was another thing i was thinking i wanted to ask you um in relation to that scene with the counselor is how do you feel about the portrayal of that counselor in season Uh, one in season one i was going to say because in season two you see a very different character um in season one he just seemed really ineffectual and like he was towing the line that he needed to fit in but i do think that this comes with some other I think it comes with complexity because it's not just about his... I think in terms of playing out his position, which was of guidance counsellor or pastoral care or whatever that was, Mm. um, he seems totally impotent. He's not really making a difference for anyone. And he's just sort of saying all the things that he needs to say. However... At At the same time, he's trying really hard to find out what happened. He's going around, he's trying to talk to all the kids... He's he spends the whole series trying to get Clay to come and talk to him about Hannah Baker. Yeah. Yeah, but then she. Yeah. Okay. But you, at the, same, uh, at the yeah. same time, he rips out the page in his thing, doesn't he? About or is that in season yeah. two? I think yeah. That's in season no, one, uh, he does. Yeah. He he disguises the fact that he had a conversation with her at all. Yeah, and I think though what we're seeing there. And what we see in, um, there's a character called Jessica, who is Mm. friends with Hannah, who is um, someone who also goes through a sexual assault, um, although she doesn't know it immediately because she's unconscious at the time. Yeah. Um, Same guy that assaults Hannah. Same guy that assaults Hannah. Mm. Um, uh, And she, so the guidance counsellor is black, and uh, Jessica is from a dual heritage family, mm. um, mixed heritage family. And I think what it does quite well is it touches a little 
doesn't doesn't give a lot of attention to but it touches a little on what it means to have um ethnic difference in in these settings so with the guidance counselor something that i thought i was seeing was a a, an a attempt to assimilate to fit with all the other people there to kind of hold this job to to uh toe the line so that he wasn't seen as someone as other than the majority and you see the same with that character jessica so this need to kind of fit in i know i I think it's in the second i think it's in the second series that she's brushing her hair at one point and her mum her mum says oh you should straighten it it always looks so lovely when it's straight um and she kind of looks at her mum they're both looking into a mirror together and she kind of gives this look to her mum and you catch this moment where she, she has heard this so often that you know if she can look like others that will work better for her um, they did a, they did a lot of stuff around ethnicity and race in the second season that they didn't do in the first season. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wonder but, if that was to do with feedback they got on the first series. One one thing that I um wanted to like, touch in on with that about that scene with the counselor is mm. that um I I mean I got the sense that this is a well-meaning guy who just yeah. is is not trained. Like he yeah. is, he is not capable of doing the job that he's supposed to be doing when it comes to um, somebody who's mm-hmm. uh, a rape survivor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, because you know how you said he looks smug and self-satisfied in that scene, mm. and there is a sense that like he wants to help, and the yeah. first thing he wants to do is give her an answer, like give her some advice, mm. um, and instead of being like given her the advice of okay here are the organizations you can contact like uh, so on and so forth you might want to report it to the police and Mm -hmm. you know he starts giving her some absolutely dreadful advice about like well if you don't want to do anything about it you're just gonna have to move on with your life and put it in a box put it away yeah and so but but it's like he's he's he seems to be I thought it was a really good performance from that actor. Um, I agree. Where, where he yeah. seems to be kind of there in the moment and try, and he keeps mm. his phone keeps ringing and he's trying to, he's yeah. trying, to, he's obviously overworked and he's trying to kind of do something useful, but he ends yeah. up doing completely the wrong thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. So it's a moment of deep tragedy in a way. It is. There is something in it though um, that really feeds back into that gender um, issue that we were talking about, where uh, these the males in the series don't they can't understand the experience of the women and the girls in it because he I think he says something in that scene about um well are you going to name him do you want to do something about it Mm. and he kind of it's almost like he's forcing he's he's pushing her um you know you need to do it the way that I'm saying or you need to put it away those are your options and it's this very legalistic attitude towards sexual assault which you see a lot online as well in this whole me too thing people have been coming out saying this and this and this happened and the Mm. response often is in the comments thread is like did you report it Mm. have you been to the police like instead of being like okay what's happening with you now Mm. it's the you know so and that's the kind of knee-jerk thing that a lot of people do and that's that's what he does you know um, and then, you know, just while we're on this topic, like I, I, because I, what happened to me towards the end of the first season is I started feeling enormous guilt while I was watching the show, and Did it you? was like, yeah, and it was like guilt by, that's like vicarious guilt or like guilt by association, where I was of just being. seeing, I was just seeing all of these horrendous like mm. kind of misogynistic attitudes play out in her life, mm-hmm. and I was feeling like I was involved somehow. Um, that's interesting and and i was like as in you had a male you were sort of party to it by watching it yeah kind of i don't know it's difficult because i started it's i can't explain this rationally really but i started trying to think about what is it in that i've done in my life like that is the source of this horrendous guilt you know Mm. and like i think most of us as like growing up as guys in the kind of societies that we grow up in have done some terrible shit like of to to you know a lesser or greater extent even if it's just been a matter of being um kind of ignorant in the Mm. way that a lot of the characters in this show are or just a bit like clay being clay's great crime in this season is that he doesn't say anything he doesn't Mm. do anything Mm -hmm. he kind of is he kind of although she doesn't really seem to blame him he hurts her through his passivity 
He mm-hmm. sees to an extent this whole culture around him, but he's kind of too young and too much a part of it to really uh, object, you know? Yeah, and I sub- and also he does, I, I think you've hit on it there. He's, yeah, he's young, but he's also part of it. He's grown up in it. He's woven into it. Hmm. Um, w- without his right, it just is what he's got. Um, and so perhaps it's not even that he doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't necessarily know there is anything to do something about. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that isn't that probably, I wonder, I can understand perhaps how some guilt could come from that because I think, well, we've talked about privilege before. There is societal, political privilege that comes with being male and whether you are active or passive in that, some of that privilege comes with you regardless of, you know, the way you live your life. I mean, privilege might be a might be a factor in this, but that is not what I felt guilt about. No? Do, you, do you understand what I mean? Like, it's not like I felt guilt by virtue of the fact that I, uh, by virtue of the kind of structural inequalities at play or the fact that I kind of don't have to have these experiences. It's more like... Um, you know be like it's more like just all of those things of like growing up at school and the Mm. types of things that are said and the types of things that happen and I know and I know a lot of um I know you know in the time that I was at school several girls in my year I think were sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. and there's just a kind of sort of glibness around around it I think that um uh you know and it doesn't even necessarily get uh noticed by the adults that are around and mm. you know so and it just made me think about you know just i don't know i think also there's something around the fact that that guy bryce the guy who is mm-hmm. like a serial serial rapist mm. his group of friends the way in which he kind of operates power and the way in which he is um kind of tolerated by them I think because I watched the whole thing in the space of two days, mm. it started to kind of spill over onto me. Do you know what I mean? Where I sort of felt like somebody has to stop this guy. Like, you okay. know, but yeah. you're but you're completely helpless as a viewer, obviously. Yeah. And that's the thing that this show does is that it really creates that sense of helplessness. It does. It really does. And I think it definitely does. Um, and you did watch it all in a really intense period of time. I mean, days. Um, but I I remember feeling watching series one and I was watching maybe an episode a night two episodes a night maybe um so over a slightly longer period of time um but feeling really unsettled at the end of every evening Mm. and yeah and then thinking what is that Why, why do I feel this way because couldn't I wasn't really couldn't really understand why I felt so uneasy and then I thought it's all the things that it that feel quite triggering from the Mm. program so it's um it, for me, it was the experience of, feel, you know, remembering how isolating school was, remembering what it felt like when your friends fell out with you and no one would speak to you, um, remembering what it was like when there were people who held more power than you and you didn't know how they were going to use it, mm. um, became really unsettling. It reminded me of how unsettled I felt at that time as a teenager. And, and I suppose there's something in, you know, all of us, maybe that's not fair many of us at some time have have felt so hopeless so unable to see what comes next that that there's maybe there's something difficult in watching that girl go through that experience yeah for because sure because it rings true for so many of us that mm. you felt some some level some commonality with her experience certainly not everything um and not and this is a dramatic program so you know they're creating situations that escalate those feelings um but you know I think for me I certainly it reminded me of a taste of that from being a teenager and it that was unsettling in addition to that that you know many of us have kind of lost the chance at a relationship with somebody because we didn't know how to reach out to them Mm. especially especially that i mean that's certainly true for me when i was younger when i was the age that this program you know is is Mm. um presenting and 
for the so most people can relate to that but then for the character clay to lose that opportunity in such a tragic way yeah and, f- and for hannah to be kind of on in a way on the on the cusp of uh, that experience mm-hmm. but then lose it lose all opportunity to ever be able to yeah bond with somebody in that way is just so sad um that kind of i'm curious because yeah. you mentioned it earlier you said that um there were some people on your course and you're doing a clinical psychology course yeah that that thought this was a terrible program yeah why did they think it was terrible i'll just quickly list it up because there's some other reasons i haven't mentioned but the first ones are things that i already talked about um program about suicide that doesn't really go into mental health in Mm. any kind of obvious way um this thing about guilt uh, and attributing blame um then uh, the presentation of uh, suicide as a kind of what appears to be a reasonable kind of, um, well, in, in in a way, like some people argue that it, the show almost suggests that Hannah Baker wins in the end by doing what she does, that she, it's like she gets That's to right, kind of stri- yeah. strike back. And that in a way that makes, for some, for, for another child in that, age bracket with similar experiences maybe that sounds appealing i got a couple I, more i got a couple could, yeah okay. go on i was go just going to add to your point yeah. that one that um yeah some of the argument i've heard around it is um that she by doing what she does by ending her own life all these people that have harmed her in some way or she feels they've harmed her in some way are suddenly regretful and they're paying yeah. for their actions yeah so yeah there's that sense that she's yeah somehow the balance has turned her way. Yeah. So, so there's there's that, and then there's um, uh, two more things. One of them is that uh, another guideline is don't show people how to do it, um, because research suggests that the more you feel capable, and the more you feel um, kind of uh, competent. Mm-hmm. to take your own life the more likely you are to do it so that, that they right? yeah so that they show a scene which is kind of extremely explicit scene of her taking her own life mm. uh it, that's kind of considered to be irresponsible and um uh finally uh there was a um you know about contagion effect right mm. uh there were like a series of um suicides in norway after the show was aired on netflix not like a huge number but there was a spot there was a spike and particularly there was a group of kids in trondheim who um who took their lives and really? all, yeah and uh but this is a this actually is an argument that goes back a long 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 mm. time in the arts because the same thing happened with um the sorrows of young werther by uh goethe the, the uh, romantic german writer Mm -hmm. that book you know the main character takes his life and that was actually banned in Norway because uh, the same thing happened with that so so there are a lot of kind of uh, I guess sort of social and kind of um, clinical reasons that people object to it Mm. Um, so they've introduced um, so this wasn't in place when I first watched the series but they've introduced now when I went back to look at it um, earlier today they have put in a an, a message from the cast. Hmm. Um, so when you when you go to watch the first episode now, before you can watch it, there's a there's a message that plays that you can't forward through. You just have to watch it. Hmm. Where basically the characters, uh, the actors who play the main characters, I think Jessica, Bryce, um, Clay, and Hannah, all kind of talk about if you're struggling, this might not be the right program for you to watch. Hmm. Um, if you're struggling or you've been through a trauma, there are numbers that you can call. Um, that if you go to their website, which I then did because I was curious, if you go to their website, it will provide those call uh, numbers. And actually, they've got you know loads of countries listed and sort of three to four numbers of um, mental health helplines, mm. um, sexual assault lines, um, victim helplines. Don't know if they're called victim helplines. Actually, I think the the British one might be. Um, 
but yeah, so that I think they're they're obviously trying to be responsive now to some of those arguments. Yeah, some of the criticism that they mm. got, and and I and I there's a couple of things that I thought about in relation to this, which were one of them was that for me, I mean, although there is this argument about don't give people um, too much information about how to uh, carry out suicide. Um, for me, the scene where Hannah Baker takes her life mm. is so horrific, and because you, she looks kind of scared, mm. she's so alone, and then and then you see her being discovered by her mother, mm. and it's just so awful. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So I can't see really that that's. I mean, it, there's there's no. It's not romanticized. No, I would agree. And um, and another thing that I thought about was that we know from like clinical experience and mm. that um, the opportunity to talk about the desire to take your life mm-hmm. can be so uh, such a relief for somebody. Yeah, and so this this comes round to something that I was hoping we would talk about: the fact that actually um, people are always frightened of talking about suicide anyway. Yeah. So this program relates back to it, obviously, throughout. It's the main thread. Mm. Um, and everyone's up in arms. Should we talk about it? You're encouraging people. Um, you've got this young, beautiful actress playing yeah. her. She's narrating afterwards, so it makes it seem like she's she's still there afterwards to see the fallout of all the things that have happened. Um, yes, that's true, in, to a degree. I mean, you can argue those things are true. Um, but also... We're talking about it. Isn't that a good thing? Because there are people out there feeling this way all the time. And there are people who are feeling isolated all the time. Mm. Isn't it great to give them opportunity to talk about it on in a, you know, in in a main mainstream platform? And, you know, for a long time, the discourse was in the health service. Don't ask people about it. Because yeah. you'll give them ideas, yeah. and all the research shows that that's completely wrong. Mm. And and I think that I think that I completely agree with you. And this there's this sense of like, oh well, you shouldn't show that on the TV because it's dangerous, blah blah blah. But you don't know how many people you can't measure how many people might have then had a conversation with their mum and dad about it. Mm-hmm. And you can't. You also uh, have to look at it in a wider context where it's so taboo. Yeah. And and how dangerous is that taboo? We don't really don't really know. Do you know what and I mean? Exactly. And I think you know, there are various films I think of that have broached this subject before. So uh I'm a nineties film fan. So yeah. the one that springs to mind to me is Heathers. Um Yeah. Where... I've never seen Heathers. Oh okay, you definitely need to see Heathers, you're gonna love it. Mm. Um but essentially uh one character is killed off. Uh, but they make it look like a suicide. Yeah, so it creates this sense that the schools are panicking, the parents are panicking, everyone's going to commit suicide because now someone has done it and we're all talking about it. And I really, my experience in mental health tells me that people who are already starting to think about this for themselves, there's a lot of relief in being able to speak to another person about it. Mm. Now, I'm certainly not speaking for everybody and I am i can't say I'm an expert on anything, Um but my anecdotal experiences when I have spoken to people who are feeling like they could end their lives, that they're starting to think about ending their lives, they really appreciate having someone to talk to about that so that they, because sometimes it can be difficult to think about whether there are other options yeah. and having someone to talk to who is open to having the discussion to say, I understand that you feel that way, but can we also think about some other things and that's all we're doing. We're just going to think about it together. Can be really, really powerful. And I think this is the first time in quite a long time that something very mainstream has referenced the fact that teenagers sometimes feel this way yeah. and can be impulsive. Yeah. Hmm. You know, and another theme of this first season was the uh, kind of... Um, damaging consequences of people not speaking about things people not speaking out and it goes it runs through the whole season you know there's the there's the girl what's her name Courtney um 
yeah. who who is into girls and mm. because she's so ashamed of being into girls or uh, ashamed of how she or uh, maybe she's more concerned of how she'll be treated she um she stitches Hannah up completely socially yeah and uh the um you know and the same thing with uh, Jessica and uh, her boyfriend um, Alex. what's it no the other Justin. boyfriend Justin and Justin not telling her what happened to her Mm. um and the consequences of that um and then her not being able not her being in denial about it nobody telling her um so there's all this stuff about about you know people having to keep secrets people having to carry stuff and at a certain mm. point it's just it's, it's just too much do you know what i mean and mm-hmm. and i think you cannot make that argument at a, a macro level as well in, as a society i don't think mm. i don't know how beneficial it is to just not talk about stuff mm-hmm. um but then I think some 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 of the arguments, uh, some of the arguments might be valid too. You know that maybe it was a little irresponsible to just chuck it out there completely with completely without context, mm. um, which is what they did initially. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if it would have been the same. It wouldn't have been the same if if we had been looking at an office place where all the same things played out. Mm, like but it was institutional adults. bullying and, yeah. Yeah, yeah and we saw someone going through a trauma mm. and being dropped by all their friends and feeling yeah. disconnected yeah and then that that woman making a choice or you know at some point getting to a point where she felt like she couldn't cope and feeling there was no other option do you know would we still touch, be talking about it do you know what i touched that's so interesting because that you say that because no, just as you were telling that story and I was thinking of the treatment for that TV show mm. if that character had ended up taking their life nobody would have thought that that was, un- that, that was remotely surprising <laughs> but it's like you expect a teenage girl to deal with so much shit that, yeah. an, that, an, that you would never expect an adult yeah, to yeah that's with. really true you know yeah and I think there's also something about the, you know the innocence of children the, mm. the idea that um they can't really possibly be going through those things and they always have someone to turn to, don't they know? Don't they know they could always talk to an adult? Yeah. And even in the messaging that they put on now, it's like, go and go and find a trusted adult to speak to. Mm. And it made me laugh because I thought, really? That's really what you're going to say to someone who's, you know, really at the point where they could be thinking about taking their lives, go and find a trusted adult to speak to. Well, what else I mean, are you I, under- I know, and I understand why you say it, right? But... I think we have to think more widely about how we're talking to teenagers um, mm. or young people because I think this whole... I mean, what creates a trusted adult relationship? You know, what is it that makes you feel like you can talk to another person about feeling this way? If it isn't programmes like this, then what is it? Mm. You know, what is going to open up that conversation? Because currently it's not happening. So. There is a, there is another issue there though in the sense that they made the I mean that we which we've already talked about this so I don't want to go around too mm. much in circles but the fact that the counselor was so incompetent you know, yeah it kind yeah. of it kind of potentially makes you feel like well what's the fucking point in trying to talk to an adult yeah and that and that was you know when I said that I she said you know, I've done 12 tapes. I, I feel yeah. like I'm renewed. I'm going to, I'm going to try again. Yeah. And, and essentially what that sets up is he was the last port on that journey and yeah. he messed that up. Yeah. Um. So she says I failed, but really what you see is him failing. But isn't that also terrifying uh, for yeah. you as a psychotherapist or for me, you know, yeah. the, the, because, you, because, <laughs> because ultimately, you, you know, you try to do as best you can, but you can't yeah. take that much responsibility. No, you, you can't. can't take the, you can't take responsibility for somebody's entire life. No, you can't. And I think that's, I think that's the thing that I sit with generally, because um, when you've, when you're working with a, a vulnerable group of people as you are, or I am, um, and you really want the best for them and you really want them to know, there are other ways through a situation that's difficult or a mental health condition. Um, you also have to accept that you're working with people who have their own agency and you cannot protect everybody in the world. It just doesn't work that way. You can be there and do do your best. And I guess that's what you see in that scene, that guy doing his best. Mm. But then I suppose uh, structurally what we're seeing is a school that didn't, 
prioritise making sure people were well trained to manage the sorts of things that come up. I actually didn't prioritise student well-being to any meaningful degree. No. And actually that's what you see him play out, isn't it? Not that he couldn't be capable of that, but there was nothing put in place to make him capable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, like, there was a lot of stuff in this show as well that was uh, just around kind of um, sort of... uh, kind of ordinary human cruelty just like banal human cruelty like so obviously the sexual assault is just it's just a horrendous experience but there's all of these small things like the guy who uh is rejected by her so he starts taking out notes that clay is trying to send her is it Um, zach zach who does that yeah and just makes her feel really alone or the other guy who just meets her for a date because he wants his friends to see that you know that like he's you know, attractive or that she's going to sleep with him or whatever honestly um, that and has that, an audience that scene felt way too real to me <clears throat> yes. that that sense of talking to a, a guy and having this sense that other people are watching what's happening and that there's a joke you're not in on and that actually this joke is probably on you yeah um it is the most unco- and i don't i can't even recall a really specific scenario where I felt that as a teenager but I know it happened because when I saw that scene I felt so uncomfortable I couldn't even sit still because it was so relatable to me um and I would I would hazard a guess that you know 90% of the women out there would be like yeah I've, I've, I've felt that one it does not feel good yeah because, and this is the this is one thing that I think I would finally say about this series for all of the arguments about messaging and inf- and all the rest of it. If you were going to talk about messaging, I feel like the major kind of thing that this series says is like um, like be aware of what you do to other people. Mm-hmm. Like be aware of what of of be kind, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, be considerate because you don't know how sensitive or how vulnerable a person might be. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I definitely think that's a takeaway message, isn't it? Um, And there's something about um, consequence of action, you know, like, I suppose just having the kind of, and this is where I think it's an issue because as adults, I think it's easy for us to say that. Yeah, think about the consequences of your actions, you know, have some thought about that. But actually, when you're a teenager, that just doesn't exist. I remember that well. You don't, you can't get to the other side of that thought. Like, you can only get to the point where you need to do a thing or you want to do a thing mm. uh, or you feel a particular way and it leads to a particular behaviour. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would like to think that it would be, I would be really interested to know what a group of 16 year olds have made of it yeah because i think you know there's a lot of adults talking about what it means and what kind of behavior it's going to push other other children into um but actually they're living it i would i'm curious you know what what do they think does it represent anything has it changed anything that would be interesting you talk about the 90s a lot on these podcasts Mm. and i think like if you compare this show to dawson's creek or you compare it even to even to my so-called life yeah which it isn't good dramas isn't that different from my so-called life in its fundamental themes no that's true about like an alienated girl at Mm -hmm. high school and bullying and Mm -hmm. um and actually there's one plot um point in 13 reasons why which was in my so-called life where they make that list of like the most attractive thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. but like this kind of takes the characters way more seriously and the degree mm. of drama and tragedy is much, much higher. Mm-hmm. And it's really multi-ethnic yeah. in a way that 90s TV was not. Do you That's know what I mean? true, yeah. So I do think that young people now are getting a totally different type of television. Um, yeah. And, and it would be interesting to hear what they, how, what they feel about shows like this, definitely. i tell you something that, um, that I thought was hilarious in relation to that today when I did my little recap. Um, mm. I saw... Uh, Hannah ask oh now who's that character he's friends with Clay he drives a red Tony Tony I love Tony um 
she asks Tony if she can borrow this ta- his tape player to do her recording. So it's a, mm. you know in the process of her she's she's getting ready to make tapes, and he lends it to her, and they're standing outside her locker, and she's looking at it, and she goes, uh, "So how does this?" What do I do? Just put in one of those tapes from my parents' shop and and record it. <laughs> he was yeah. like, and he was like, yeah, it's just like a voice text. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh man, I'm really old. When did this happen? I'm feeling because he's really, he's he's like, yeah, yeah. You know how you do a text voice voice message? Mm. Well, it's just like that, but you're doing it on tape. And I felt like that is exactly, you know, it just it's so um, it's so of its time, isn't it? That you know that we're, we're so far gone from the time when we were kids and actually the technology the kids are using now is so different and the way that plays out for them is so different too. So, you know, there's that uh, scene where Justin, Justin takes a photo of Hannah and then sends it around to everybody. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That did not happen when we were kids. It just no. couldn't couldn't have happened. And, you know, that's, that's something that I've um, kind of read a lot about as well. The, this kind of culture of taking pictures of girls and spreading them online and stuff mm. that that's a kind of a uh an everyday danger that young people are facing um and apparently like it's really normal to pressure yeah. people to send naked photos and yeah stuff now. i've heard yeah i've heard the so, same can you imagine vince like when we were kids if there was photographic evidence of everything we did that was everywhere following you through life there's already too much photographic <laughs> evidence, right? It's too yeah. much. Yeah, and it makes me very. I mean, I'm a, I'm a parent. I've got a couple of kids, so I I think about this for my children. God, I don't want these things. You don't want an impulsive moment. You don't want a a sometimes a joyous moment of being a kid doing something silly that you know maybe doesn't wouldn't fit it for your parents but isn't really a danger it's just a thing you wouldn't want that to follow you through life and actually for the kids now it does it does follow them through that's what that's one of the kind of another theme in this show is is kind of moments of kind of innocent uh joy for her get ruined get destroyed mm. often and that's one of them like she's just having fun with this guy in the park and then yeah. it gets turned into this thing and she gets shamed for it and whatever yeah um but, uh, yeah, I was going to go on a tangent now about Easy A. I don't know if you've seen that film. I have I'm seen that gonna, film. I'm going to leave it, I don't think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Have you got, do you, you got any more you want to say about 13 Reasons Why? No. I feel like we, there are loads of characters we didn't talk about, but there that's going to so be the many. nature of discussing a TV series rather than a film, I guess. I think so. And and it's such a, um, it's really detailed. And obviously there are 13 episodes, so we were never going to be able to cover everything. Mm. But... I feel like um, rather than talk about the program in lots of detail, we've maybe talked about the the concepts that have come out of it for us, and I think that is that is the bit that I found interesting. Anyway, if you know what I mean, it's what comes afterwards. What what does it make people talk about? Yeah, and and also it's maybe it's a banal thing to say, but it did make me think about the opportunities for storytelling in TV that you don't have in film, mm. like having these 13 chapters like the 13 mm. chapters of the novel yeah, um, yeah. you know you, if you couldn't do that in an hour and a half you know what I mean yeah. you get a whole different degree of storytelling and, and that makes it kind of makes for can make for a richer experience yeah I really I think it's a I really enjoyed the series I don't think it's without fault but I've, I don't think I've ever seen anything that is without fault um and it's it's started a conversation. It's restarted a conversation that gets started every few years, doesn't it? Something comes out, people freak out, they talk about it, it dies down. Um, well, I I think honestly, I don't. I do think it's near enough flawless. Like I and I think the kind of discussion around its social responsibility and mm-hmm. all of the rest of it kind of isn't. I mean, it's an important discussion to have, but it's mm-hmm. not necessarily relevant to how well it works as a piece of work. Yeah. I mean, you um, watched two series in four days. That says something, though. But I will hate them till my dying day for making the second series. You know they're going to make a third, right? Yeah, but nobody's going to be watching that. Yeah, sad, no? They, they, yeah, it's a shame that they felt the need to push further. The, the, the best thing they ever did with my so-called life was stopping it where they stopped it. It, it remains 
a golden series in my eyes because they didn't overdo it. And I think you've got to be mindful of stuff like that. But all in all, good. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Um, anytime. To to listeners out in the world, um, we have a Twitter account, which is um, Saddest Disco. And uh, you should uh, check it out because we post what we're going to watch next. Alternatively, we also have an Insta, Natasha. We do. You expect me to remember the name of that now, and I don't. I think it's called The Saddest Disco. Look, look us up on Insta. Look us up on uh, Insta, we are definitely in there. I've, we don't have that few listeners, actually, it looks like, but we don't hear from any of you, so somebody reach out, give us some yeah, comments. Or... that would be great. Uh, one of the, Someone mentioned to me recently that they, they sometimes watch films uh, that they would like to hear other people talk about so they were like oh yeah I'm really into films I kind of like films with mental health representations I would like to hear what a psychologist makes of that that would be interesting so if you have one of those films in mind shout us we would like to hear about it please send us a recommendation for sure alright that's it for today thanks very much thanks for listening bye